the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's technology connects us more than ever before, but this 24-7 modern world may be messing with our minds and doing damage to our mental health. We constantly check emails and messages, and we're pressured to present the best version of ourselves while checking our likes and comparing them to the accounts of others. According to today's guest, Matt Haig, it's no surprise that the rates of stress and anxiety are rising dramatically, and that even though we are connected, we're feeling more alone than ever before. Matt joins us today to discuss how we can stay human and sane in an increasingly technological and anxiety-inducing world. Matt is the author of the internationally best-selling memoir, Reasons to Stay Alive, and Notes on a Nervous Planet, along with six novels and several award-winning children's books. Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. So, Matt, this topic, this is something that's really close to my heart because I agree, you're right. We are more connected than ever before, and yet many of us feel more alone than ever before. And in recent years, I went through a lot of change and a lot of loss. And when I would scroll through Facebook or other social media sites, I would feel horrible because I would be watching everyone posting what I wanted. And it took me a while to realize that it really is a game, that people are showing their A game in social media. What do you believe is happening? And why do you believe that depression and loneliness is on the rise? Yeah, it's very interesting what you say, because I've often felt the same, you know, when you're having a bad day. And weirdly, it's the bad days you often spend more time on social media. Right. And you end up seeing stuff and you, you, it's very easy to imagine everyone's having this perfect time and they're all living their best lives and, you know, you're stuck there and in the wrong timeline. And really, you know, the thing to remember with that, I, I suppose, is that very often it's when you're feeling not that great that it's tempting to actually put something up on social media that actually says, oh... I, I am having this great time. You almost, we're all sort of projecting a better version mm-hmm. of our lives on social media. And, of course, we're never getting the actual truth. You know, whoever, whatever you're interacting with on social media, you're interacting with a version of the person rather than the person themselves. And, it, and, it's, and it's quite easy to forget that. But the other thing is, yes, you're right. I mean, rates of loneliness, study after study, almost wherever you are in the developed world now, saying that loneliness is on the rise um, yet at the same time we are at least in inverted commas the most connected generation of humans has ever been you know we're at the time in human history where there's more connections than ever but mm-hmm. it's it's about meaningful connections you know the connections we're having via our screens aren't necessarily the ones that our minds need to feel fulfilled and satisfied or to understand as a proper connection. What's interesting, there's something called Dunbar's number. There's a very clever guy called Roger Dunbar, and he came up with the number 150 as being how many people we can have meaningful relationships with in a lifetime. And he believes 
because he's an evolutionary psychologist. He believes that's why if you go back like a thousand years in Europe and you look at the size of villages, um, they were all of about 150 people, give or take. And that seemed to be the perfect size of a human community. Now, a lot of people on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, they have a lot of more than 150 people that they see in their digital village. You know, you could even on Instagram, before you're even out of bed in the morning, encounter 150 new faces by scrolling through. So it's not an absence of people. It's mm -hmm. about the nature of the connection itself. How many of these relationships are meaningful? How much are actually making us feel better? And how many of them, because we don't know the person, their image of their, the very best version of our life is just making us feel a little bit inadequate about our own life in a lot of cases. But I feel like being aware of that and taking it all with a pinch of salt is at least the first step into taking it less seriously. I worry about our children. I have sons that are in their 20s, and, you know, I'm middle-aged, so I've seen both sides of the story of the situation. I, I know being connected in an intimate way through personal touch and communication, and I see the side of being connected digitally. But I worry about our, yeah. our younger generations who don't know or understand the importance of that touchy-feely, intimate communication where you look into someone's eyes when you're about to say something hurtful, or you hear the tone of someone's voice and conveying the message. I, I worry about them having that ability to empathize and have compassion. Yeah, and what I find surprising, you know, in terms of how much the world has changed in what is really just a decade, really, in terms of major change, in terms of how we work, how we live, how we learn, how we fall in love, how we interact with each other, all of that has shifted massively in just a decade, and mm -hmm. it's going to keep on shifting. Um, how we don't really talk about what you just said, how we don't analyze that or question that that much. Yes, we, we sort of moan about people who, who go out to dinner or find it funny if two people go out to dinner and they just spend the whole time just on their phones the whole time and, and don't look up and so they're communicating with whatever. And I think we need to start understanding it as an addiction to an mm -hmm. extent. You know, it's very hard to recognize an addiction to something if every single person around you has the same addiction and they're not calling it an addiction. But if it's something that's starting to interfere with our lives to a certain extent, if it's something that we're actually slightly conscious that we shouldn't be doing it as much as we do it, and yet we're still doing that, then that that's some of the hallmarks of an addiction. Now, it's not officially social media addiction, although it's talked about, it's not officially recognized by, say, the World Health Organization yet as an addiction. I think they've got video gaming addiction as an official addiction. That was the first one they dared to sort of mention as a health issue. But I think eventually, as our understanding of mental health improves and it it becomes more of, you know, a health issue in general. I think people will start to realize it's an addiction and, and there will be more public pressure to set in safeguards and give warnings and, you know, almost like, you know, what the tobacco companies were forced to do or the fast food companies have been forced to, you know, there's, there's certain limits that can't be crossed. But at the moment, the scary thing is the, these companies who run these sites, they see, they're seemingly all powerful and ahead of the curve. But what's quite interesting about, say, um, the, the, these guys in Silicon Valley who are running this, often the, the voices, the skeptical voices about technology are actually coming from Silicon Valley. They're coming from um, the people at wherever, eBay, Facebook, you know, former Facebook workers and stuff. And they're actually, you know, they're choosing to send their kids to schools without technology. Mm -hmm. um, the guy who invented the like button on Facebook has got mixed feelings about inventing the like button on Facebook because it was such a, an addictive thing that led to so many of the addictive things on social media. But, you know, we need to realize that these companies are often hiring psychological consultants, psychologists, to actually try and make the, their products more addictive, to try and make them more emotionally exploitative. So it's no wonder that so many of us are spending so much time there. You know, and you can't get away from it, and I think that's why it's impacting on our mental health. I have my own company, my own business, and 
I'll admit it. I'm addicted to my phone. It's the first thing. It's next to my bed. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I pick up my phone. And and I really am trying to work to push that away. But I notice that because of this connection and, and being connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there are no more boundaries. I will wake up in the morning and find someone texting me at 2 a.m. business texts or Facebook messaging at four in the morning. It, it, it's just we're not shutting down. We don't get away from it. And I think we're, our brains are on overload. Absolutely. That's the key word, I think, overload. And, you know, we've talked about information overload for years, but we've got every kind of overload at the moment. We've got news overload. We've got relationship overload, work overload, life overload, you know, almost everything, you know, whether it's the options we've got in terms of the supermarket, in terms of what we want to buy, in terms of what we want to watch on TV, where we get our news information from, we're overloaded with everything. And obviously, you know, we're, we're very conditioned to think choice is a good thing and choice is a good thing. But there comes a point where too much choice isn't really choice. It becomes paralyzing because we can't, you know, we can't watch all the TV shows. We can't read all the books. We can't buy all the shampoo products, you know. Um, I, th- I can't remember. It was some mega company like Unilever or something, and they did some research. I think it was Unilever. And they did some research, and it was research into shampoos where um, they were trying to, trying to sell more shampoo, and, and, and they did an experiment where they had 17 different brands of shampoo in one aisle, and in the next aisle they had just three um, brands of shampoo and they sold more in the aisle where there was just three because there was less choice and actually when you're faced with 17 mm-hmm. brands of something your brain sort of like short circuits and you um, you feel a bit paralyzed and you don't it's harder to make the decision when there's more choice and I feel like we're like that with everything even with the news with all the sort of negative information we're fed daily most of that information we're not doing anything with we're just getting anxious about it or getting stressed out about it and it's quite unproductive and obviously if you go back to the last century uh, 1990s 1980s 1970s you got your news at best about twice a day you'd have your morning newspaper and your evening tv bulletin and that would be it and change would still happen yet now we have this need to be constantly up to date every five minutes or we feel like we're sort of being left behind and yet you know, it's not necessarily change. You know, we're not actually doing the right kind of change any quicker necessarily, um, and we're ending up a bit paralysed by it. So often, I think the solution, rather than to add extra things, you know, people often think that a solution is adding something new into your life or doing something, and it can be, but very often also the solution is stripping something back, taking something away. Um, you know, we have too much of everything. We're spending too much time on our phones. So it's about having a bit less time on the phones. In my, in my case, one of the things that helped me was simply not having my smartphone next to my bed. So I charge it in the kitchen downstairs. So at least I have to get up um, on, on with the day and be a bit more in tune with my circadian rhythms of mm-hmm. day and night. And that requires us being mindful of our behavior. And and once you recognize the things that you've been talking about, how it may be an addiction and how it may be impacting our mental health, we then need to be mindful of that and make some changes on our own. Yes, absolutely. It is. It's mindfulness. It's awareness. It's just knowing. You know, the first step of, of most recovery has to begin with awareness and self-awareness. And I think we're encouraged not to be aware. And it's always remarkable to me how, how little we are talking and thinking about this onward march of technological pros, uh, progress that's happening at a faster and faster rate. When we ourselves aren't fundamentally changing, we're the same hardware we've always been. Our brains aren't evolving in line with Apple or whatever other technological company. So we're at this point where our technology is evolving at a far faster rate than we are, and we're this very wonderful but very old-fashioned hardware trying to process the modern software of 21st century life. So it's no wonder, no surprise, that many of us are often finding it too much, and we're crashing like computers, and we sort of need to switch ourselves off and on again, now and again. Matt, you've been open about your battle with depression. Do you believe that anything's changing in the way that we handle people that are dealing with mental health issues? Well, I certainly feel we're talking about it a lot more. Uh, and talk is good. And I'm not just saying that lightly. Talk, talk 
is genuinely good with mental health because one thing talk does and can do is it can lessen stigma, it can normalize something, it can make you feel less alone. And, and let's face it, you know, talk therapy is a massive route to recovery for many, many millions of people. So let's, under not, let's not underestimate the power of talk. 20 years ago, when I had my um, first full-blown breakdown and I descended into depression and very severe anxiety and panic, I, I didn't know anything about it. There, there was no um, place I could go to find other people going through what I was going through. Not that I knew of, not that I would have been able to find, it, find easily. Um, the famous people I knew of who'd had depression, you only really heard of the people who ended up taking their own lives. So you had very depressing case studies. And now we're in a very different situation, of course. We, we, we hear all the time of people going through stuff and of living with it and surviving it and recovering. And all of that is good. Um, I think... I think we can overestimate, though, how much, in terms of how much progress we've made. I don't think the rate of progress has caught up with the particular stresses of where we are now in the 21st century. So I do feel some ground has been made on stigma. But even in terms of stigma, I feel sometimes um, people, people can actually stigmatize without realizing they're stigmatizing. And I see this often in the media. For instance, when a celebrity... Um, talks about maybe having had an eating disorder or having suicidal thoughts or nearly taking their own life or whatever. It's often presented as a confession. It's, it's someone admitting to something and it, 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 it's shrouded with this kind of shameful thing, which we would not do with physical health. We talk in a very different language nowadays um, about cancer and other serious physical health conditions. Yet the language in which we talk about um, suicide and all of that, I mean, even the, the idea of committing suicide, you know, that goes back to the idea where, where it was seen as a crime and the idea of admitting a, a, a mental health problem. The connotation is that it's something that's quite taboo. And even, even when people are giving you a compliment, for instance, I get it a lot and I, I don't complain about it. And it's a very nice thing when people tell you that you're brave for talking about it. Mm -hmm. In one sense, it is brave because we are still at that place where there's a bit of stigma. But if you're continually told something is brave, you start to imagine yeah. that there's a reason to fear it. You know, if, if you were told, if there was a forest at the edge of your garden and you were suggesting going into that forest and everyone kept saying, oh, you're so brave for going into that forest, you would eventually be put off from going into the forest because you'd think, what's wrong with the forest? What's in the forest? And so... Uh, I, I think personally we, we should almost get to a point where it's not brave, it's just a thing. It's like mm -hmm. asthma. Yes it, can be, it, yes, it can be horrible, it can be the worst experience of your life, but you know, we don't talk about bravery if someone's talking about their arthritis or if they're talking about asthma or talking about any physical health condition. And it would be wonderful if we could join the dots and see health, physical and mental, as part of the same whole and to, to have no more stigma attached i know we're not there yet so i know we still need to be brave to talk about it but that that's the utopia i'd like to get towards matt as someone who's been there who's experienced <coughs> it what would you say to someone who's going through a difficult time what should that person be looking for that it it might be a good idea to get some help or what advice do you offer to help that person get through it well, if they're in the place that I was in, if they were in the place where they really feel there's no way out, it's incredibly hard to tell that person about the future that they don't believe in. And, you know, I've spent my two books now trying to write really to that person I was when I was 24 years old. And the closest thing I can get to something that would have helped me is to say, you need to stay alive and hopeful for other people. Now, I don't mean they need to stay alive for their loved ones, although, you know, that's a factor sometimes. I mean the other people that they're going to become. You do not stay, you know, I was very young, I was 24 years old. You do not stay the same person you were at 24, when you're 34, when you're 44. Even if you have issues of depression and anxiety forever, 
your response to those issues, your way of managing those issues, your way of dealing with and talking about those issues is going to evolve and change. I was in a place where I believed there was going to be nothing good in my life. I was very young and this had happened to me and I had no idea how it had happened to me and I was in this mess and I thought, that's it. I didn't know how I got here, so I have no idea how to get out. I'm going to be stuck at the bottom of this valley for a long, long time and that's it. And that, that fear made me suicidal because I just thought, well, I, I just can't, I can't, I can't live with this much pain for that length of time. Right. And what I didn't realize was that things change. You, you kind of need to go through life a bit to really understand the rhythms of life. You do not stay precisely the same person. You, you are at different points of your life. You have a different perspective on things. And actually, I've known more happiness, more moments of joy, and more gratitude this side of the, I'll be honest, than I ever did as a younger person before I became ill, because I'm more thankful for normal life now. I'm more I don't need everything to be an intense experience to be happy. I can just be sort of grateful just for being. I don't need constant stimulation or the most intense experiences. And I'm also grateful for, you know, those moments where you do have health and where you do feel good and, you know, the sun is out and you're feeling fine and dandy and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful in a way I never used to be before it but I could have never seen that at that time so if I could go back through time as a 43 year old now to my 24 year old former self I would try and give that person faith in a future they don't believe in and also to tell them that optimism is as valid a perspective as pessimism because when my mind was full of pessimism 90% of the stuff my mind was telling itself was wrong. You know, I was convinced I wouldn't be here at the age of 25. I was convinced my relationship wouldn't break down. This, that, and the other. And obviously, bad things happen in life. You, ha you go through griefs, you go through losses, you go through trials and tribulations. But that worldview, that totally dystopian worldview of depression, that's not a reflection on reality. That's a reflection of an illness, of a state of mind. And the oldest cliche in the world about time healing is particularly true, I feel. With, with mental health stuff because it gives you that perspective it actually disproves things that depression is telling you and you kind of have to just hold on to the roller coaster ride while you're going through it to get to the point where you realize oh well i didn't think i'd survive a week of this and i've survived a month of this i've survived a year of this i've survived a decade of this i've been here before and so i've had probably about 17 bouts of um mental illness to varying degrees in my life but rather than seeing that as any kind of failure i think well that's 17 things i've survived that's 17 things i've been through and 17 times i've recovered you know so that's the way i, I choose to look at it now you just described that so beautifully because for me it was 10 years ago and it wasn't that i wanted to die it was that i was so tired i didn't know how to live and go on so right. the way you just described it 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 is 1,000% true, and, and you said it beautifully. And the book is Notes on a Nervous Planet. If you'd like to get more information about Matt and his work, you can visit matthaig.com. That's H-A-I-G, matthaig.com. Matt, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your thoughts on how the way we're living can impact our mental health. It's true that we're more connected than ever but also, we can feel more alone. So I, like you, agree that it's time we take an honest look at our lives and make some changes that can improve our well-being. So thank you for joining us and for sharing your insight. Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your Rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973-722-1154. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. a cardiothoracic surgeon who has written more than 200 articles and books about cardiac surgery and the nutritional reversal of heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, and hypertension. His new book is The Plant Paradox, The Hidden Dangers in Healthy Foods That Can Cause Disease and Weight Gain. He's here today to discuss the dangers of lectin. Welcome, Dr. Gundry. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. So, Doctor, talk to us about the dangers of lectin. Why is this plant-based protein toxic and inflammatory? So lectins are a protein that plants use to, believe it or not, keep from being eaten. Plants were here first. They had it really good before animals arrived because nobody wanted to eat them. But when animals arrived, plants couldn't run, they couldn't hide, they couldn't fight, but they're chemists of incredible ability. So what they do is make a protein that's called a lectin or lectins that are designed to make the animal ill or not feel well or not thrive. And a smart animal says, you know, every time I eat these plant babies or plant compounds, I don't do very well and I'm going to go eat something else. The plant wins, the animal wins, everybody's happy. And then humans arrive. When, when we eat things that make our gut bloat or not feel well or we get headaches or we get arthritis or we get high blood pressure or we get heartburn, we continue to eat these things and take oh, antacids or Aleve or Advil or antidepressants, not realizing that the plant is trying to get our attention. And the book is the result of 17 years of research with my patients, looking at blood tests every three months, giving them or taking away certain foods and looking at the inflammation that we can detect on their blood vessels and that we've published. And it's a real eye-opener that a lot of what we think are healthy foods are actually very unhealthy. So, Doctor, what types of foods are we talking about? So, uh, the two main groups that we weren't designed to eat are grains and beans. Uh, The second main group that we're not designed to eat are American plants. Believe it or not, none of us are from America. We're from Europe, Asia, or Africa. So, none of us were exposed to the plant lectins in American plants. So the nightshade family, potatoes, eggplant, tomatoes, peppers, and goji berries, the squash family like zucchini, the two American beans that we call nuts, peanuts and cashews are really nasty for us, and the American grains, corn and quinoa. Believe it or not, the French banned corn in 1900 as unfit for human consumption and only good for making pigs fat. And if we've learned anything about corn, it's really good for making you fat. Doctor, you've listed foods that many people eat daily because they believe that they're healthy. Are there things that can be done to reduce the risks? Yeah, so one of the things you can do with any of these problematic foods is to use a pressure cooker. So beans and lentils, you'll destroy the lectins with a pressure cooker. The other thing you can do, believe it or not, most of the nastiness of grains is in the hall. And 
that's why traditional cultures have always taken the hull off of grain. You can also peel vegetables like zucchini to get a lot of the lectins out. And the same way with tomatoes and peppers, if you peel and de-seed them, they're actually quite safe. What should our diet look like? What do you recommend we eat on a daily basis? Great question. We're designed to eat leaves and we're designed to eat flowers like broccoli and cauliflower. We're designed to eat shoots like, for instance, asparagus. We're designed to eat fats like avocados, like olive oil. In fact, my, one of my sayings is the only purpose of food is to get olive oil into your mouth. The other thing we are designed to eat are nuts like walnuts, like pecans, like macadamia nuts. Uh, like pistachios are also great for you. And I, I actually try to get people to have a half a cup of nuts every day. Doctor, thank you so much for being here with us. If you'd like to get more information, get a copy of The Plant Paradox, The Hidden Dangers in Healthy Foods That Cause Disease and Weight Gain by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And you can get more information about Dr. Gundry at drgundry.com. Once again, Doctor, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, John. We'll be right back. This is Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Tax season is here, and while you may be counting on getting the same refund as last year, this year is going to present unique challenges. Joining us today to discuss how tax reform can affect your tax refund and the importance of updating your W-4 is Andrew Wagner, a senior tax advisor with H&R Block. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Andrew, a recent survey by H&R Block showed that 47% of respondents think tax reform will increase their refunds, but only 19% said that they had updated their W-4. For those who may not know, what is a W-4? So the W-4 is the form that controls your federal and your state withholding through work. So if you have a zero or a one listed on your W-4, that's when the most taxes are going to be taken out, and then that's going to help you get a much larger refund at the end of the year. But if you have a higher number on your W-4, like a two or a three or a four, then you're going to get bigger paychecks, which that's good because then you have money to pay your bills throughout the year, pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever you're, you're, you're spending money on but then you're going to be at a higher risk of having a balance due at the end of the year. So it's, there's a lot of planning that goes into it and a lot of strategy to determine, you know, do I want to be within a few hundred bucks either way of having a refund or a balance due, or do I want to get a massive refund and, you know, have less money throughout the year? Why is it important to update our W-4 after tax reform? So when tax reform happened about a year ago, a lot of employers adjusted their withholding tables. So a lot of people started to see larger paychecks because most people's tax liability went down. So people sort of got a little bit of a raise at work, but they didn't really realize why. And that the reason they got bigger paychecks is because the federal withholding went down. So I'm seeing a lot of clients this year that are making the same amount of money, but they have less withholding this year. Even though nothing else changed, their salary stayed the same, they have less withheld. So then they're a little bit surprised when their refund is a little bit less than they got last year. So it's really important to plan throughout the year. If you're planning all 12 months of the year, and that, that means you're going to be at a, just a, a much better position than someone who didn't plan or someone who did not update their W-4. Andrew, what information does a person need to complete a W-4? And what would go into the calculation of whether or not they should change their withholding? So you really, first off, you need to know if you're married or not. Um, if you're married, you're going to want to take both spouses' income into consideration but you're really going to need to figure out what your total income is and then what your total tax liability is. So those are the key things right there. Total income, total tax liability, and a third wild card is what do you want to get? Do you want to get a refund or do you want to have a balance due or do you want to maybe be within a couple hundred bucks or do you want to get $5,000? So it's setting expectations, and it's also a personal preference of whether or not you want that money throughout the year or do you want it on your tax return. Um, a lot of people are bad at money management, so they don't really want that money throughout the year. Some people are very smart with their money and, you know, they, or they need the money uh, throughout the year. Um, so those people are, are, you know, are going to be better at planning if, if you know that you're spending the money wisely. So just kind of really getting a feel for what your expectations are as far as taxes go. That's, that's a big thing. Is there a segment of the population that is at greatest risk of having a surprise this year? 
really anybody who did not update their W-4, and as you mentioned, only 19% of people actually did. So that's, you know, four in five people did not update their W-4. So those people could have had less withholding throughout the year and therefore are surprised by a, a balance due this year. Um, anybody who maybe had lots of employee work expenses a year ago, those are no longer deductible under the new tax plan for most people. So if you are working at a job and you get a W-2 and you have lots of expenses, you may have been able to deduct those a year ago, but then this year you can't. So if you in those that situation, if you did not update your W-4 and have more withheld, you'd be at a much higher risk of owing this year. So this doesn't necessarily pertain to whatever tax bracket you're in. This is a, a general rule for everyone. General rule for everyone, exactly. I mean, if you're in a higher tax bracket, you're going to want to have more withheld, of course. So someone who makes $400,000 is going to need to have a lot more withheld than someone who makes $30,000, of course. Um, so it's it's a combination between your total withholding versus your tax liability. People often think that, well, the more I make, the bigger refund I'm going to get. That's not necessarily true. Uh, it's just a combination of having a lot withheld compared to your tax liability. The people who have more withheld compared to their tax liability get a bigger refund, whether their income is $18,000 or $3 million. In addition to updating a W-4, is there any other advice that you would offer taxpayers to help avoid surprises at tax time? Ask a lot of questions and plan throughout the year. Contact your tax professional throughout the year. The people that I have that are the happiest at tax time are the people that have been coming to me throughout the year and asking for help. The people who I only talk to once a year are always the people that are the most surprised. Other things, you know, just bring in all of your income, uh, or report all of your income, bring all of your documents in. The, the more you bring in, the more the tax professional is going to be able to gauge your situation. They're going to get to know you better and then they can help you plan better if they know your situation better. If you just bring in limited information, and uh, it's going to be really hard for the tax professional to know your situation and help you plan. Andrew, I know a lot of people who do their own income tax. Is that wise? Is it, should people be working with a professional? I absolutely think you should work with a professional. Uh, typically, you know, the IRS sees a higher or sees a lot of returns, or we see a lot of returns that people have done on their own, and they've there have been certain things they haven't done right, multiple states, education credits. You know, it's good to have another set of eyes looking at your tax return. Another big thing is not only do you get a professional doing your return that, that does this every day for a living, and if you're just doing your return once a year, you know, you don't have a lot of experience necessarily. But if you come into an H&R Block office, you can sit down, we'll examine your situation, and we can tell you what your fees will be to prepare your tax return right then and there based off of the complexity of your return. So you'll know right away what the actual H&R Block price is going to be, and you get an expert who gives you another set of eyes, can help you find every deduction, something you may have missed on your own. You have someone else to help you find that. Where can taxpayers go to find more information or to get help? You can go to hrblock.com or you can call 1-800-HR-BLOCK to set up an appointment. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing this information. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What helps you see things differently? Hi, I'm Suzanne Tregenza-Moore, mother, wife, business coach, skincare consultant, and middle-aged woman. I'm on a path to rediscovering who I am and what I want, and I invite you to take the journey with me. In my experience, connecting to our deepest desires can seem like a faraway prospect. Our truth lies somewhere behind family responsibilities and the inertia we feel. To find this buried treasure, we need to shake things up a bit. Here are three simple ways I've found to do it. See things a different way by doing some jigsaw puzzles. Focusing on color and shape recently helped my mind break free from the video and words that more often find their way into my consciousness. Might this work for you? take a walk with your camera. Physical movement is always good, and combining it with some creativity engages the brain in a refreshing way. Read or listen to a novel or biography. Peeking into someone else's life, whether real or imagined, makes us look at our own from angles we may not have considered before. If you're feeling the daily grind, take some time for yourself and play. It doesn't have to take all day. Join me at SuzanneTMoore.com to learn how I'm increasing play and creativity in my busy life. Is it really okay to end a relationship by text? Hi, I'm Julianne Cantarella, matchmaker, dating coach, and owner of New Jersey's Matchmaker. 
I work with commitment-minded singles, helping them to totally transform their love lives by taking the mystery and confusion out of dating so they can create the relationship they desire and deserve. As a relationship expert for over 13 years, I've been asked this question numerous times. My initial answer, of course, is no. It's really not good for him to break up with someone via text. But in all honesty, that's applied to those who have been in a long-term committed relationship and the relationship has been more serious. A long-term committed relationship, without a doubt, deserves a face-to-face ending. However, if there has only been one, two, or three dates, that's not a relationship, and a quick text to end things is not the worst thing in the world. To be clear, the text should be worded sensitively. It should clearly identify why you've reached the conclusion to end things and that there will be no more contact. You don't want to leave someone second-guessing, wondering if there's hope for the future. Ideally, you want to end things face-to-face, but if that's not possible and you know there's no moving forward into a long-term committed relationship, then a sensitively worded text to end things is just fine. To learn more about me and how I can help you totally transform your love life and create the relationship you desire and deserve, visit me, Julianne Cantarella, at NewJersey'sMatchmaker.com. It is no secret that many people wait until after the holiday season concludes before finally deciding to move on with their lives and commence the divorce process. My name is Robert Epstein, and I'm a partner with the family law firm of Ziegler, Zemsky, and Resnick in Livingston, New Jersey. Whether because of the family and the children, financial reasons, a hope that the marriage can be saved, an overwhelming schedule that leaves no time to act on this decision, or something else, each person has a rationale for why and when they are finally prepared to move forward. Oftentimes, people look at a decision to move forward with a divorce in the new year as a sort of New Year's resolution, which makes sense when considering that a resolution is designed to help you improve something in your life. A few things that you can consider doing to move forward are, number one, find the right divorce lawyer. Number two, outline your divorce goals. Number three, gather your financial documents. And number four, rely on that support system and professionals to help you get through a difficult time. With these steps in mind, the new year will present a clean slate and a chance to make positive changes in our lives that we might not have otherwise been ready for. Hopefully you will be better prepared when the time is right to make that decision for you. For more information, please contact me at Siegler, Zemsky & Resnick, 973-533-1100 or robert at zzrlaw.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Weber, who's with the Laura and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. Dr. Weber is here today to discuss melanoma. Dr. Weber, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated 87,000 new cases of melanoma were diagnosed in the United States last year, and approximately 9,700 people died from the disease. What is melanoma, and whom does it affect? Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells or melanocytes that live in our skin. They tend to cluster at the junction between the inner inner and the outer skin, which is the dermis and the epidermis. And if they become transformed or abnormal and grow out of control, they can then invade. And if you get to them early and remove them when they're in the skin only, you can cure the patient. But if it spreads within the skin, deeply into the skin, or to distant organs, those patients may die of metastatic melanoma. And the patients most at risk are those who have pale complexions, a lot of freckles, especially those with a lot of abnormal freckles, and those with blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, who have been exposed to the sun or tanning salons. So most melanomas are probably due to UV exposure, that is the sun and the tanning salons. Some of them are genetically predisposed whether you're in the sun or not, but most of them are related to UV light. Is melanoma more dangerous than other skin cancers? That is correct. Most cancers of the skin in the United States and around the world are so-called basal and squamous cancers. You find them, you remove them, they're usually cured. The likelihood that they would spread percentage-wise would be very low, although that happens. It just doesn't happen often with melanoma. So you have about uh, more than a 10%. It's an 11% chance of dying of the disease, whereas with other cancers, it's very low. It's 1% or less. 
Doctor, what are symptoms of melanoma? People should look in the skin at their moles, and if they change and grow in size, become differentiated in color, if they become shaggy in their borders, if they're asymmetric, if they get raised or bleed, that's when you get worried and you have to go to the dermatologist for a biopsy. No question. What is immuno-oncology, and how does this treatment help patients with melanoma? Immuno-oncology is the field of study and treatment using drugs that impact on the immune system to indirectly treat cancer. So what you do is you use a drug, and these drugs have really only been developed since 2001 or 2002, so it's about 16 or 17 years ago. And these drugs stimulate the immune system to get rid of the cancer or prevent it from returning. So they don't directly kill the tumor, they convince, so to speak, the immune system to do the work and get rid of the tumor and destroy it. And the first drug was approved in 2011. The first patient was treated in 2010, so that was a 10-year journey, as they call it. But most recently, in December, a new drug was approved called nivolumab that was used in a large clinical trial that is a test, which showed that in patients who had their tumors, their melanomas removed by the surgeon, but were at high risk of return of the tumor, meaning 50% or more risk of return of the tumor or even death from melanoma, that the time to return of the tumor was prolonged Probably the patient's survival was improved. And interestingly, compared to the control arm, that is the, what we call the comparator, the drug was less toxic. So it was kind of a winner all around. And that was the drug nivolumab. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit curemelanoma.org. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Timing in life is everything. Famed psychologist Dr. Dennis Waitley explains that timing is seen as something over which the individual has a degree of control. That is certainly true in our lives and in our businesses. Business success is certainly affected by timing. Healthcare is totally about timing. Most folks agree that the key to a great treatment is usually early detection and intervention. This is exceedingly true in regard to accounts receivable issues in your business or your practice. This is Vito Mazza, your cash flow specialist with Kinem.com. For financial help, a business needs to have a systematic approach that will enhance cash flow and profitability by speeding up slow-paying insurance companies and vendors and collecting from clients and patients less expensively and more effectively. The real secret is for you, the owner, to adopt an early diplomatic intervention system. This will help you collect the money owed without damaging patient or customer relationships and help medical practices get their insurance claims paid a good bit faster. I'm licensed, bonded, insured, HIPAA compliant, and I can help. Please visit Kinnam.com forward slash Vito dash Mazza or call 800-850-5110. Hi, this is Joan Herman. I am honored to be a special ambassador for the 2019 Coleman, North Jersey Race for the Cure. I hope that you'll join me and my race team on Sunday, May 5th at Liberty State Park for this 5K fun walk and 5K timed run. Sign up for my team at cyacyl.com slash Komen. That's cyacyl.com slash Komen. Join the fight. Save lives. Register now. productive life. But sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Bill Resch, the founder and managing partner of The Elementary Group, a leadership coaching, development, and strategic planning consultancy that helps clients become agents of action in life and within the organizations they serve. He's here today to discuss why we need to fill up our gas tank. Welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's great to be back with you today. So, Bill, when it comes to achieving more progress, you're a big advocate for slowing down to go faster and further. It seems like the pace of life has increased. Do you think this is sustainable? Joan, I I really don't. Uh, As I look around uh, and work with clients and organizations of all sizes, people are leading hectic lives. It's unsustainable. And it's leading to burnout. It's leading to stress. And it's leading to personal struggles beyond the workplace. So, Bill, what does sustained stress do to our relationships? Well, it's interesting. There's really two different types of forms of stress, Joan. There's distress, right? We would know that as kind of bad stress, that 
often causes us to underperform or even shut down. And there's actually a good stress called eustress, but the problem with eustress is that causes us to overperform. And so in both situations where you're experiencing stress, you can uh, be impacting personal relationships at home or in the workplace. And so for those who are experiencing distress, uh, they may be underperforming in their jobs, which is causing uh, relationship friction with their coworkers and their bosses. Uh, for people who are, are more subject to eustress or good stress, uh, that motivating type of stress, um, they're often overperforming. And what I see with overperformers in our coaching practice is that they're often neglecting key relationships at home. And so whether you're subject to bad stress or good stress, the reality is it plays out differently either at home or at work. And so the key for all of us is to find ways to mitigate and remove stress so that we're functioning as healthy individuals. So, Bill, how can we identify and begin correcting this problem? One of the great tools we use uh, in our practice is something called a T-chart. And it's as simple as it sounds. On a piece of paper, uh, just simply write a T. And on the left column, I'd ask that you'd write gas tank filler. And on the right side, I'd ask you to write gas tank emptier. And I'd like you to spend some time thinking about what are the things, the activities, uh, physical activities, intellectual pursuits, emotional activities, uh, perhaps even spiritual activities that fill up your tank. So this could be all sorts of things, running, training for a big goal, emotional closeness with friends or family, personal connections, healthy eating or productivity. What are the activities that you notice recharge you and replenish you? Then take notice of those. On the flip side, what are the behaviors and challenges that you experience on a daily basis that seem to el eliminate energy from your day? Identify those behaviors and see if you can uh, begin to work those uh, situations, relationships, or challenges out of your life. And so by using a simple tool called a T-chart, uh, you can find and identify, diagnose, if you will, some of the things that you need to spend more time doing and some of the things that need to be eliminated from your routine and schedule. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Bill and his work, you can visit his website, elementarygroup.com. And as always, to hear more from Bill, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash bill. She wants to be home with her friends. But at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. Visit stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs>